Hello, welcome to Why Not Me. In life, we face many trials and obstacles, many challenges, and in the thick of it, we can be tempted to think, why me? But every obstacle presents an opportunity and every trial can bring triumph. So I want to encourage you to adapt a mindset of, why not me? When, when in the middle of it, when things are tough, look around and think, why not me? It's, it's happening for a purpose. And then when success is at your doorstep and all you have to do is open it, you may find yourself hesitating, questioning, is this for me? Do I deserve this? And I wanna encourage you to adapt a mindset of why not me? Throw the door open wide, shout to the world, why not me? Embrace your success. I'm your coach, Todd Halls. I'm grateful to have you on this journey. Welcome to Why Not Me. Hello, hello. Welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. Coach Todd Halls here, and I am so grateful that you tuned in today. Thank you. I'm super excited, excuse me, super excited for our guest today. Uh, with me is Dr. Holly Fisher-Britt, and uh, I think you're, you're just, you're going to be amazed. Uh, Holly is an entrepreneur, a mom, a grandma, a wife, a business owner, a doctor, um, and I just can't wait for her to share with us. So so with that, I'm going to ask Dr. Holly just to fill in some of the blanks that, that she maybe wants you to know. So what else would you like our listeners to know about? Oh, my goodness. Okay. So I've been in practice about, um, well, it'll be 30 years in 2022 as a doctor of optometry. I was about 25 when I graduated from Northeastern State University College of Optometry. And uh, in that year, I also, well, I had gotten married two years prior, but I had a daughter then. So everybody in my class remembers how old my daughter is because of, you know, one of the first women in optometry of my optometry school 30 years ago to have a child, you know, in my fourth year. So, um, uh, which was not planned. <laughs> so it was definitely God's choice for me to do that, but it ended up being perfect because um, after I graduated, when I was studying for different state boards, I was able to be home with her. And, um, you know, that bonding time is so important with mothers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, let's see. Um, so since then, I have been um, married three times, divorced twice. And uh, each each challenge obviously has given me a new insight to not just myself, but the world around me and how it really operates. And, um, you know, I would say that my life is probably just a series of trials, you know, and, um, and probably not just accomplishments, but victories, you know? So, um, I, I don't know. I was raised by two working parents um, my mom was always working. Um, my dad was a middle school math teacher. So, of course, in those days, they didn't quite make enough money, you know, for moms to stay home. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to be um, encouraged and um, and definitely provided for with uh, two loving parents and um, who waited actually 13 years to have children after they got married. It wasn't because they couldn't. I think it was because my mom had younger siblings that she was responsible for. Yeah. So when they got married, it was just kind of like, it's a good way to get out of that responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that she didn't love my mom, my dad. They were high school sweethearts and everything, but 
Um, anyway, so I think it was wonderful having parents that were a little bit older than my friends. Um, sometimes embarrassing, you know, because they were maybe 10 years older than my friend's parents. And I felt like maybe they just didn't quite understand, you know, like so-and-so's parents. But it was absolutely a blessing in disguise. Um, my dad was able to stay home with uh, my sister and me. I have an older sister, two and a half years older. And uh, who just gave us great, fun-filled summers, you know, always had us on the, the bike trail, Riverside, um, and actually uh, uh, just had us involved with a lot of sports. Of course, it was some of his sports. Of course, of course. So anyway, so um, it was great. You know, I had a great childhood growing up. Um, like I said, it was in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma is where I was born and raised. Um, I'm an Edison graduate. And, um, and then pretty much when I was just deciding what I wanted to do, um, they had opened the College of Optometry there in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, which was attached to the Indian Health Services for the need of the Native American Indians. So when that school opened, um, it was just, it was wonderful. They had just graduated a new class and my chemistry teacher actually gave me an article about laser eye surgery. And it just intrigued me so much that I was like, oh, wouldn't that be so cool to do laser eye surgery and get rid of people's glasses and contacts and all that? So even way back then, you know, it was just um, a series of, of influential um, people, of course, in your life that help you make decisions. And after discussing it with my parents, I decided, you know, optometry school, eight years, <laughs> being an ophthalmologist would have been 13 years if you have to go to med school and then you know, um, do a residency in ophthalmology and then a fellowship and all that. So yeah. for someone who wanted to be a wife and a mother eventually, and I knew that, um, eight years was a lot more tolerable. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So when your, when your daughter was born, you, yeah. had, you had time then as you were, as you were studying and, and were able to really just have that bonding time yeah. as, as she grew up, Mm -hmm. um, how did how did you balance? I didn't. Okay. Yeah, at all. I say I'm I'm probably a jack of all trades and a master of none. Mm -hmm. um, it was a balancing act because when she was about two years old, um, her dad and I separated, and um, so I had made the decision to move to Dallas to take a job. Uh, then, of course, it was higher pay. It was working for someone else. Um, and after that year, I was very unhappy because I felt like that I was not able to serve, um, the patients in the capacity of which I had been educated. In other words, I wasn't allowed to dilate patients. Um, you know, so my care, um, was somewhat stymied by expectations of what the owner wanted. Hmm. And um, so I felt like if I'm ever going to be able to do this, I got to do it on my own, you know, and that's kind of been my mentality all my life. I just need to do it. You yeah. know? Just do it. Learn the lesson. I don't care how much my parents would tell me, don't, 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 don't. It's like mm, probably the one that would have to do it and learn the lesson. <laughs> and um, so I, um, yeah, it, so back to my daughter, it was, um, it was challenging. And, and there's no way that I could have done that if I didn't have the help of, um, you know, a wonderful daycare provider, um, home daycare provider. You know, back then, I, there was no way I was going to put my daughter in daycare. You know, I was totally dead set against that. So I had a wonderful neighbor that had a daughter about the same age, and she wanted Alana to be her daughter's playmate. And 
Um, she was a, um, a forgive me, Miss Melanie, if I forget, but I think she was a um, an A and M grad and stay at home mom and just needed the challenge as well, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to to take care of um, of the girls together. So she'd dress them alike and take them different places and stuff. There's absolutely no way that I could have been a mother, a business owner, a, you know, doing everything that I was doing because at the time. Um, to make up the income, you know, I didn't have when I divorced uh, my husband, um, we, uh, I had to make up that income. And of course, when you start a practice, you know, <laughs> there's little to no income, you know, because most of it goes to expenses and stuff until you build up your practice. So I was working seven days a week. I would, uh, you know, moonlight, so to speak, at commercial places in Dallas. And of course, uh, back then, even knowing then, Um, What I didn't know before when I first started um, in practice, I didn't really realize that if I worked for somebody else, there might be a different, um, there might be a different um, type of situation, you know, Um, looking back now, I probably took every hard road you could take, (laughs) you know, every hard road you could take. (laughs) I often said I could tell people what not to do, (laughs) you know, as opposed to telling them how to do it, you know. Yeah. as far as emulating what I did. But as you look back, uh-huh. do you, I guess, would you change anything? As I look back on my road, I've, I've, I'm also known to take the hard way, it yeah, seems. Right. Um, okay. So what would you do? What would you do different? So, of course, in my line of work, it's really easy to say that hindsight is twenty twenty. you know? <laughs> yep. Um, what I've learned is that hindsight is truly um, 2015, (laughs) you know, which is better than 2020. But the problem with that is that, um, you know, in order to have that insight, um, you have to go through it. So it's not even fair, you know, to say, oh, I wish I wouldn't have gone through that. Because if you dwell on that, then you're living in the past, you know, you're not able to move forward and, 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 you know, kind of embrace exactly what you learned, you know, from those experiences. So, um, yeah, I mean, my life would have been a little bit easier if I would have picked number one, the right husband from the beginning, (laughs) not third time's charm, but, you know, I think in the end it's, did you finally get it right? Or do you finally, um, you know, do you finally uh, get to a point where you make peace with the past mistakes or the past choices that may have taken you down a seven year road of just sheer hell and, you know, all that, which, you know, I did go down too, you know, so, but it all comes back to, you know, how is that going to turn around and um, make your life better going forward? Yeah. You know, because without that, you just, you know, you don't really appreciate where you've come, you know. In the moment, <clears throat> and I'm can I ask you about the about being divorced? Sure. Mm-hmm. So in the moment, or, or or after the moment, like how did you? How did it affect you? Your view of yourself, like when you looked yeah. in the mirror, yeah. Um, and and then how did you process? Um. Well, my first divorce, um, I literally. Um, was in college and had been dating a guy for about four years. And, you know, I was 23 and probably just ready to get married. And he was going to pharmacy school. And so, of course, it was always his thought, well, we'll get married after we both get out of school. And, you know, your mind, your heart, your hormones tell you differently. 
Um, so here's the intervention of, um, <laughs> um, I, I literally went on a date, um, with a guy I did not know, but, uh, went on a double date with a friend of mine and her boyfriend. And they said, just come with us, come to dinner, you know, whatever you, that way he's not the third wheel and okay, fine. You know, so I went out to dinner and literally I fell in love with this guy. I'd never known. Never met. He was from a totally different part of the nation. You know, he was from um, the Northwest, uh, Native American Indian, Colville, Indian, um, Naval CB. So he was still in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And I fell head over heels in love with him. And so, of course, I broke up with the boyfriend realizing, you know, I, I'm just head over heels for this guy. I just can't continue this. Listen, I met him in May and eloped. And married him in August. <laughs> so when I called my mother, I said, Mom. And I said, are you sitting down? And she goes, I'm as low as you can go. I'm on the floor. And I said, you know. Oh, and it chokes me up thinking about it. Because um, she knew I was head over heels for him. Um, that I was just going to throw it all away. My dad gets on the phone and says, well, are you going to go back to alternative school? You know, that's all he's ever thinking, you know, well, are you going to finish here? So it was my summer between my second and third year of optometry school. And <laughs> yes, I'm going to go back. He's going to finish his tour and then he'll move to, you know, where I was. And that is what happened. But by the time he moved down to your about a year and a half later, I was pregnant, you know. So um, we really only lived together two and a half years of our five year marriage. But into that, he was a wonderful dad the first year, um, but he, his cloth was not really cut out to be a stay-at-home dad and for me to be the doctor, you know. Um, so we decided to put the, my daughter in, um, in daycare at first. And at a church daycare, we were very happy with it. But um, he, being a Navy CB, it was kind of a natural progression for him to work for um, Home Depot. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bed, but <laughs> um, so we started having problems in our marriage. And, and I really thought that it was um, maybe, you know, alcohol just raising its ugly head and um, all that. But no, that's not what it was. He was cheating on me. But it took me getting him to move out of the house and getting away from this situation for me to figure out what had happened. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really eye-opening when I had one of his colleagues or co-workers come in for an eye exam. And she said, I'm so sorry, Holly. I, I had no idea um, that you all were having problems. And that girl was just not worth losing his marriage over. And I looked at her and I said, what are you talking about? And she goes, you didn't know? Oh so literally she told me and she knew the person that he was having the affair with and everything. So I knew something was wrong, but I wasn't ready to throw away marriage and just say, hey, get out and we're divorcing and all that. I mean, I loved him, God. Loved him, you know. And it's that kind of love, which um, you know you're supposed to have, mm -hmm. you know. You just know you're supposed to have. That was just God given, my mom told me, you can be a doctor and you can marry whoever you want to marry. Then you don't have to depend on a man to support you, right? Yeah. So I took that to heart. <laughs> so, so I did. I married the Naval CB, but, you know, he got out of the Navy, but maybe the Navy didn't get out of him, you know, some of the old ways. Sure, sure. <laughs> so um, I look back and I laugh on it now, but so painful, 
you know, and it definitely drove um, my next um, decisions, you know, for many years. So, um, jump forward, you know, after we went ahead and and uh, and I divorced him because I, I just couldn't forgive him. Sure. It was just something that at first he was denying, 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 and he had no remorse, you know. And to mm -hmm. me, that tells a lot about a character mm -hmm. that if you have no um, remorse, then how in the world can you forgive somebody? So um, I carried that around a long time. And when my daughter was about four, four and a half, um, I was somewhere in my 10-year reunion for high school. And I went back to my 10-year reunion, met back up with a guy that um, we were just friends in high school. And um, and he just kept calling me, you know, I really, I just want to date you. <laughs> Can we just go? And he was just charming. And I remember him as being just precious charming, you know. So um started dating him long distance. And at the time, he was living in West Palm Beach. Okay. Um, he worked for the PGA of America. And for, uh, he did PR for golfers for PGA of America. And at the time, he was looking forward to a new change in his life, you know, as far as maybe a new career. Um, well, actually, I take that back. He had worked for the PGA of America and went over to Golden Bear. So he was working for Jack Nicholas Productions okay. or the, you know, the Golden Bear. And um, so did PR and all that. Um, after he had been there a few years, he was just kind of looking for the next thing. And of course, Dallas was where I was in, which was another big, um, you know, uh, place yep. as far as, um, sports management and all that kind of stuff. So he moved to Dallas, we got married and, um, and he found out that I wasn't little cheerleader Holly anymore. You know, I mean, I was a very driven, uh, human being, um, maybe his thoughts of, um, marriage, which he, he, you know, figured at some time I could just stay home and, <laughs> you know, he could work and all that, but I was helping him, um, you know, at some point start his own company and it just didn't work out, you know, I mean, it, and, and I think expectations there is everything. Um, we were married seven years. We do have a son from that marriage. And I always felt like, um, it was pretty much my son, your daughter, you know, which was very hurtful for me. Um, and it kind of remained that way. You know, my daughter has always been a sticking point for him, even as she's an adult, um, you know, kind of intervening in his son's life. It's just kind of stuck that way. But it was very, um, it was a very ugly divorce and, um, you know, very, uh, very contentious, you know, as far as the custody battle over that. And yes, when you go back to how did those things shape you and the divorce and all that, I was a terrible mother. I mean, that's pretty much, even though I was a good mom and, um, you know, I believe in, in making sure that your children have every opportunity. Um, but he used the fact that I had my own business and was career oriented against me, um, tried to say that I was, um, you know, not there, so to speak, even mm -hmm. though I was the person that was, you know, providing the nanny. You know, when I couldn't be there, I was rearranging, even though I'm the person that built my practice two blocks away from our home, you know, so it would be more convenient for me to be home with the children over lunchtime and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I mean, it's just hurt feelings make you um, do things that perhaps your your character wasn't really meant to do, you know? Sure. Um, and when I say that, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily an evil person. 
but I think perhaps he was so hurt that, um, you know, for whatever reason, maybe the letdown, you know, I always say if you manage your expectations, then um, things don't hurt so bad, right? <laughs> There's a lot of so much expectations. That. And the thing is, is that, you know, when you're, when you're uh, growing up as kids and you know each other and here I was really happy and spirited and all that kind of stuff, I always got most spirited, you know, every year in high school, you know, the most spirited award of the class or whatever, that when you're an adult and you realize they're not always that cheery, um, you know, really living with somebody and knowing who they are, um, you know, day to day, you know, makes, I mean, you just learn, you mm-hmm. know. And probably after I had Chase, our son, um, I went through a terrible postpartum depression, you know, and uh, I was anemic and why wouldn't I have it? Um, Although I would have never said that (laughs) and I would have never admitted it, you know, but at some point, um, you know, you just, uh, you just move on, you know, and it was easier for me to do that than to constantly have to deal with somebody who had expectations up here of me. Mm-hmm. that I wasn't meeting up to their expectations. You know, he didn't understand any of how my brain thought. Um, he was very scheduled. I could take a month out and still not know, you know, when he had days off or that I wanted to get up and, yeah. and that annoyed him. I mean, it was just very hard for him, you know, to probably deal with my more creative brain versus, um, versus, uh, his brain. Yeah. So it was just difficult. Yeah. You know, but yeah, when I look in the mirror, I still think I'm a great parent, but I still have the beat down, you know, because he used to write five page emails about how I'm, you know, this and that and your parenting style and da 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 and all this kind of stuff. And so um, at some point, you know, and he did that often in our marriage too. So it was just kind of, you know, personal stuff that he would attack that it's like, that's not even kind, you know, it's just like, Things he can't control, you know, that he just kind of, I don't know. So that was hard. You know, yeah. I didn't really mean to invite that into my life, but I did. And for some reason, I had to get through it. Um, I think it did make me a stronger person, but it also really, really love make me love um, Paul Britt when I met him. <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, what a difference. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So I think... Uh, yeah, so I still see those things. Absolutely, and it hurts, you know, but you just, you got to remember it's one person's opinion, you know, mm-hmm. that's not everybody's opinion, and a lot of people see it differently. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's okay to let go of those things, you know, it's just hard. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Wow. As, as you're saying this, resilience is the word that, that's it. that keeps mm-hmm. coming to mind. Absolutely, persistence, yeah. resilience. I mean, it's just, you have to have the willingness to, um, you know, to look at it honestly and say, hey, maybe this isn't about me. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe what all is happening here isn't about me. Maybe and what's happening to me and, you know, all that. Maybe it's about not just the lessons that we're supposed to learn, but it's about the lessons that other people are supposed to learn. You know, going through all this. My son's learned a lot, you know, in all this process. He's 21 and still lives um, with me. Um, and I think it, it, it just, you know, if you put it in perspective as, um, you know, it's, it's not just the trial and tribulation that you go through. It's the entire, um, 
let's just say the whole drama, <laughs> you know, that people um, grow insight from and, and, you know, and it makes you realize later, you know, why were you spending your wheels like that? You know? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the custody battle, I'll go back to that. Um, it, it was always just tip for tat. Why? Why? You know, if the child is the most important thing, then, you know, why are you doing that? Right. Why are you doing that? That's just not even spiritually correct, you know, number one, to make anybody feel like, or a child specifically feel like they have to be with one or another parent, you know? I mean, because they want to be with both. Right. You know? So... It's just hard, you know, to go through all that and then come out and go, oh, you know, what did I do that messed them up? <laughs> oh, my gosh. What did I do to make them, you know, this way or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> well, and, and th but through all that, mm -hmm. um, you obviously maintain built a relationship with both your children. Oh, yes. And, and, and that's yes. solid. And another child, Paul's daughter. Yeah, she was three when we started dating and four when we got married and she calls me mom. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have to be reminded of that. She, uh, on her phone, I'm mom, her mama, and on her phone, her birth mother is birth mother, even though she has a relationship. But we had to kind of force that, you know, um, just because it is important. You know, I still say um, kids need to know their parents despite their warts, you know. Or kids need to know their parents' faults and all. You know, it is really important. Mm -hmm. So, but anyway, never easy. No. So my biggest question is, okay, why did I get married and no kids? Oh, yes, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is all God's plan, you know, and that's what I come back to. No, it wasn't his plan that I would be divorced twice and married three times, but it was his plan for me to come through and be able to um, um, be a victor, you know, yeah. kind of come through and, and realize that um, life isn't easy. I mean, it's not easy for any of us. It doesn't matter if you're sick, you know, you have a health issue, if, if you're dealing with a family member that you're supporting that has a health issue, or if it's your own trauma, if it's your own past trauma. I mean, we all have something. Everybody does. Yeah, we all have something. Yeah. So it's not always just the, the things that we have in common that hold us together. Sometimes it's just the, the common principle, you know, of what, um, you know, what we're all learning and where we're going. Mm -hmm. So in addition to um, being a mom mm -hmm. and, and going through divorce and remarriage, yep. you've, you've managed to maintain this practice and build. Yes. Yes. A business. Yes. And I tell people every day, I don't have really, really close friends now. I, I really haven't. I think my closest friends or my best relationships have always been my patients. I mean, I know that's very sad to say, but, um, but I worked so hard, you know, so long and um, certainly poured my heart and soul, you know, into my patients and my practice and all that. Um, that it is kind of a joke, you know, my best relationships are those that I have for about 15, 30 minutes, you know, but those are the patients that, um, you know, they, they really do reciprocate the care, you know, it really does. Um, even though it's a patient service, you know, even though I'm providing them with a service, 
um, there's something in my soul, you know, that also uh, needs to have um, somebody to give that service to. You know, they're providing me also with the uplifting strength, um, you know, where I feel competent and happy and like I'm successful, you know, even if it's one patient at a time. Yeah. You know, sometimes I do have to step back and look outside the building and go, oh, my gosh, you know, <laughs> which I never could have done if it weren't for um, my mom's investment, you know, in me financially. Yeah. Um, and I tell everybody that, you know, the difference, why don't you do all this? The difference between me and somebody who doesn't is number one opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, financial support is another one. And then the persistence, you know, that's it. opportunity, persistence and financial support, um, yeah. of some kind, you know, even if it's just the seedling. So I think when people talk about privilege, you know, it, it has nothing to do and my opinion about this or something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it has to do with, do are all those things in accordance? In other words, um, a college student that has nothing, you know, very poor, com- comes from a poor upbringing, I still say they're privileged if they have that financial support, you know, whether it's a government loan or a grant or a pale grant or something like that. Um, you know, certainly if they have, um, you know, the opportunity I mean, in other words, they were chosen because they've made great grades and, and all that kind of stuff. They're still not going to do it unless they have the persistence. So I still feel like you have to have all three components to be able to accomplish, you know, yeah. what it, whatever it is that you want to do. So as you, you shared that your mom invested in you. And yeah. it's, and dad, obviously, yeah, my dad yeah. and, and, um, and my education as, as well. Well, so maybe a fourth component, and that's that mm-hmm. somebody believed in you. <laughs> well, for sure that. <laughs> you do have to have people that believe in you. So Somebody yeah. in the corner. Or somebody that, you know, goes, yes, you're you're going in the right direction. Or, you know, like in my case, patients that are like, you all just do such a great job. I'm going to come back every year. You know, something yeah. like that. Because that does give you um, literally the nudge that you need to just keep going. Just mm-hmm. keep going. That'll give you that persistence, you know. So whatever it is that's driving that persistence, um, you know, it is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking of my son, mm-hmm. who's 15, and mm-hmm. and just you know the the question comes to mind right now: Do I demonstrate that belief enough? Mm-hmm. And and how you know, am I am I setting him up mm-hmm. uh, for that level of success? Um, so just yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just a reminder to be conscious of our words and how we're how we're speaking into sure. our children or our friends or those around us, our spouses, whatever. It is. And that's something you can always look back and go, "Oh, I could have done a little bit." <laughs> I mean, my mom had high expectations. You would think that my math teacher dad would be the one that would have higher expectations. Yeah. He was like, "See, that's fine. I see you're average," and I'm like, "I am not." You know, that would make me want to excel even more. But really, it was my mother that had high, high expectations. No, you need an A. (laughs) We bring home A's. We don't bring home a C. We don't, you know, B is just if you can't make the A. But I'm pretty sure you can make the A. So, (laughs) for sure, (laughs) it is what what your parents drive you, you know. But I think we, you know, as a society, we didn't used to talk about those things. You know, in my parents' generation, it was pretty much, you know, 
I mean, you just do what you can to survive, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, even even the way we are now, um, you know, regarding um, people in general, you know, um, uh, I won't go down that road, but, um, you know, it used to be that people would just kind of make up for other people's, um, let's just say, uh, inadequacies, you know, oh, your uncle's, you know, what you want to say is your uncle's a drunk and we just <laughs> don't have anything to do with him or whatever. But used to be, they would just kind of make up for that, you know, for family members. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the old Barney Fife thing, you know, the town drunk would just go into the 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 jail cell and put himself in there you know nobody chided him over it right. you know nobody said oh you're such a drunk and you know and in society you're worthless and stuff like that i think we've come to a society where we're so hypercritical you know that anything that you do um you know less than the best is looked upon as inferior or um you know, even though everybody's failures or sins are, you know, human. Yeah. Um, and I think with my kids, I, I was far too hard on my daughter, you know, where maybe my mom could have gotten away with saying a few things to me, <laughs> you know, yeah. then it's like, oh no, we can't get away with saying that anymore. <laughs> or, you know, my expectations then saying to my daughter, for example, Alana, you can make A's. That's all we make. We don't make B's. We make we don't make C's. You make A's. Well, and then hearing her teacher, her fourth grade teacher say, Alana could be a straight A student if she wanted to be. You know? So it made a huge imprint on me. Um, even back then, because she's almost 30 now. So you can imagine years and years ago, you know, it was just like, what? There's another option. <laughs> you know, what? What do you mean if she wants to? Why wouldn't she want to? You know? But by then, kids in the 90s, you know, was just kind of a, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. You know? Right. It's not what I need to do. I'm going to do what feels good to me or what I want to do. So if I don't want to make an A, you know, it is what it is. And parents, you're just supposed to, you know, accept it. And so for me, I think it was very hard for me, you know, because I'm pretty much black and white. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to do good. You're not supposed to do evil. Right. <laughs> you're, yeah. su you're supposed to follow this path. You're not supposed to follow that path. But I have a free spirit daughter, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I think it was difficult. I really do. And then my next child, who was eight years difference, right? Solana was eight when Chase was born. Uh, you know, even though I still felt like, you know, I needed to train him exactly the way he's supposed to go and not accept anything. He was a little different. He wanted to excel. You know, he had that uh, where he didn't want to make a B. You know, if he was going to make an A, that's what, I mean, that's because he wanted to do it. So I was lucky in that regard. Mm -hmm. But when he started telling me, um, probably 11th grade, um, I really just want to be done with high school. Um, that was a little hard for me. So we had to find an alternative way for him to graduate early, which we did. Yeah. And then so he immediately, you know, started taking some college courses. And then all of a sudden, you know, I have him in with a life coach. Life coach, listen to me. Yes, she was. She uh, anyway, I love her. Her daughter is is an up and coming country music star. But 
beside the point, she started working with my son to try and get, you know, out of him what his strengths are. So she's a strengths coach. She's a PhD and a strengths coach, uh, Gallup, you know, went through all that. Cool. So then he turns it on me and says, you need to take the Gallup strengths test. I'm like, oh, no. So sure enough, I'm that one that's like dead set in their ways. You know, I'm just very, um, you know, I, I just believe what I believe and um, service oriented, all that kind of stuff that you would expect. People pleaser, you know, all that. And so it did my soul a lot of good knowing that I had some of that in Chase. You know, sure. but not all. So when he told me that he didn't want to go to college and in fact, just wanted to be a music producer, it was a little hard yeah. for me, you know, but at the same time, Todd, I believe in him. And then when I started hearing some of this stuff and I've, and I've had this kid in music and arts since he was little. So he started, um, let's see early, early, um, doing piano and theory, learn, you know, writing music, theory, lessons, all that. And then he did voice lessons. And then I had him in drums because he wanted to do drums. And then he got into cello, you know, for a few years. And then in high school, he didn't want to be a band geek or an outdoor, you know. So it was like, okay, fine. But for me to realize that all of a sudden now he wants to go into music, Mm -hmm. that didn't make any sense. I was just like, no way. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just can't do music. But then all of a sudden, I start hearing some of the stuff he's doing. And it's like, I'm his greatest fan. His biggest fan. Yeah. So it, it makes sense to me that he that he did that just from our conversation today. Because earlier you mentioned you've got you've got a creative brain. Yes. You just channel, you channel your yes. primarily to, to business yes. and, and entrepreneurship. Yes. So he also has the, that creativity. Absolutely. He's just expressing it. Correct. Uh, and it was nice. his life experiences, like a breakup with a girl and, you know, how music was very um, um, helpful to him, you know, getting through all that and and just made him realize that he just kind of had a passion, you know, for something. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's it. Yeah. Awesome that he gets to use that giftedness. Yes. And, and express it that yeah. way. And he has parents that believe in him. That kind of sub- financially support him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's through helpful. all this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> as you, as you think back on on the years in business, mm-hmm. what are some like one or two tips you would give on on running a business? Like like words of wisdom. Hmm. Um, you would think that I have been asked that many times before. Um, and in some regards I have, um, but in business and in general, you know, no matter what business that you're in, you have to have a mission statement. I mean, you have to have a core belief in why are you doing this? You know, because if you don't believe that and know why you're doing that, then nobody else, you know, who is your patron, your client, your patient, nobody else is going to believe that. If you don't, fully have your core value, your mission statement, your belief system in place from the front of your door to the back of your door, then no matter what, I don't think you'd ever be successful. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you know, there might be people in business that aren't passionate or understand or believe in what they're doing, but I don't think um, that you would ever expect for them, you know, to be successful in what they do. 
So to me, that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably um, the other, and it may have to do with the first one too, is you have to have boundaries. You know, boundaries are very, very important in business. Um, just simply because you'll hear as a business owner, oh, the customer's always right. Customer's always right. You know, Todd, the customer's always right. You know, well, in my business, patients are not always right. <laughs> They're not. And if they buy stuff from us, that still doesn't make them right, you know, in some cases. So you have to have boundaries. Um, you know, you can't be too good of friends with your patients because that kind of crosses a boundary. Um, and, you know, I just think that it's it's really important, you know, to have your boundaries in business. Um, yes, we're willing to do this because, number one, we can't be in business for total loss, you know. I mean, I'd love to give my services away. And for 15, 20 years, I did to Lions Club. You know, I uh, uh, was so um, just honored to receive the uh, Helen Keller Award, you know, from my Lions Club in Rowlett for the years of service that I provided for, for kids, you know, through the Lions Club. And we'd set up, you know, for adults that couldn't afford or whatever back then, there weren't a whole lot of services, Good. you know, that would help with eye care with indigent or um, you know, needy people. So, um, but you have to have um, boundaries because at some point you can't just give and give and get, right. you know, because then all of a sudden you're taking off your work days, you know, that you're supposed to be supporting your team and your staff and, and all that. And you're, you're now being asked to go and give all your services during the work week, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, instead of just Saturday morning at the, at the uh, middle school. And um, so I think that it's healthy, you know, as you grow as a CEO or a CFO or, you know, president of your company or whatever, that it's important to have those boundaries, yeah. you know? So I don't know. So a couple of things resonate. I love both of those, um, both of those points. Um, the, the having the mission statement and that why clear um, and making sure that, um, your team mm. also also gets it correct and, and gets how they're how they contribute to that so connecting the dots like oh i'm doing i'm doing i'm, I'm making the coffee for the for the group and it matters yeah. because or whatever it is but connecting it to the overall getting everybody on board and the boundaries is i mean we, we could spend days just on, just on boundaries and as a as a business owner for 20 plus years as well mm-hmm. just the personal boundaries like yeah work will work will fill yeah. up everything yeah. if you let it so yeah. so keeping boundaries but also yeah, to your point like how much because I, I think most entrepreneurs most business owners i've met have a heart to to serve and to give yes. it's so easy to find yourself yeah and i champion that it's right. great to do so but right. at the same time commerce still has to happen or right. there won't be mm-hmm. any opportunities to serve so thank you for sharing yeah that. i think it was a um... Uh, a very much an enlightener when my daughter was little. Um, and I say little, maybe she was around 10 or so. Um, maybe she was younger, but, um, anyway, it was something that she was doing and, and she was asking for something. I said, I will, I will, I'll do it when I get home. I got to see these patients, you know, da, da, da. I'll see you in a little bit, you know, whatever it was. Mama, you love your patients more than you love me. Oh, that'd be tough. And it was just like, I know you don't mean that, (laughs) but that's what you're feeling, right? So, I mean, that one just kind of 
no, I don't, you know, it's just, but then you have to step back and you have to go, hmm, so you're right. I mean, the boundary issue is huge. Um, yeah, because it affects everything. It affects your relationships on every front, you know? So yeah, absolutely. So as we, as we get ready to wrap this up, um, we're, first week in November right now. So we have two months left in 21 going into 22. If you were to offer up a question, like what should we be thinking about or what should our listeners be asking themselves Hmm. as we look ahead to the coming year? Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I mean, it gets to this point. I'm start going, well, in my business, that's all about, you know, we have patients that are procrastinators. Mm-hmm. They may have been due in July for their eye examinations, and guess what? Because of COVID or whatever's happened, they put everything off, you know? And so here we're going to get slammed in December mm-hmm. with all sorts of calls, you know, saying, hey, I got to get in, but my benefits are out at the end of the year. And it's like, Dr. Britt's already scheduled out six weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. So I already can foresee, you know, that we're going to have that. So I think it's, it's being able to be prepared what the end of the year is going to bring, mm-hmm. you know? And of course, people in business, depending on what business, I mean, you, you know, you also have to worry about economical choices, you know, um, tax points, you know, in other words, you don't want so much in- inventory at the end of the year that you're not going to be able to get rid of it. And then you have to pay taxes on it. Um, so there's so many things, you know, at the end of the year that I look at, but right about now I'm starting to compare my total, you know, year end to last year, you know, or really the year before, because the last year was the COVID year. Right. And so most healthcare providers, um, you know, went into the negative or, you know, certainly claim losses, you know, from the year before, just because of, um, reduction in services and all that, that we couldn't provide for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, how is 2022 going to um, get you closer to where um, you want to be, you know, mm-hmm. like 30 years in, in service for me, you know? So I started telling my office manager, maybe I want to start sharing that I want to start retiring with my patients, which I haven't done. You know, I know people know that my husband bought a practice in Gulf Breeze and I spend half my time here and half my time there. And and it works out really well, Todd, the way that it is now, because I can do my business as well as help Paul's business while I'm here. And then when I'm I'm where my business is, um, I can concentrate on patient care, which I love, you know. Um, But how long do I want to keep doing that? I'm just not sure. So I think at the end of each year, even even if I go another five years just doing this exact same thing, um, you just need to kind of um, revisit your goals, you know, your personal goals, your family goals, you know, um, and looking at our parents as they age, you know. What are my parents' needs going to be in the next year? What are, you know, my kids' needs? I have one that's graduated from Colorado State, my middle child. And, of course, she wanted to be a vet when she started. But now she wants to go into research and be a Ph.D. or whatever. But, um, you know, so what are, what's going to happen there? She's graduating in May of 2022. So, um, you know, what are we going to be doing there? Sure. But, you know, for business, um, it really is for me. Um, where are we going to be at? You know, do we need to um, add more uh, or different services? 
Do we need to provide other things? I'm getting into my older patients now where um, they've aged with me over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so some of them actually have, you know, debilitating vision um, changes. Uh, do we need to start adding low vision, you know, to our practice? Do we need to start, you know, adding maybe more um, support groups, you know, for macular degeneration, glaucoma and stuff like that? Because there's only so much you can do for prevention. And then, you know, people start uh, losing some things uh, vision-wise, and uh, it makes them feel debilitated in other areas of their life. Sure. So, um, you know, what do we need to start looking for there? We have another ophthalmology group that um, that leases space from me. I need to know in this next year if they're going to stay another five years. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think more or less it's it's end-of-the-year budgeting stuff. You know, where are we? Yep. And where do we want to go? I mean, it's just like everybody's New Year's goal, you know? Yeah, yeah taking the time to be right. intentional about yes. mm-hmm. forming a plan, setting some goals, right. and, and right. And then, but also reflecting, like, yeah, are we on track or off well, track? Well, and I tell you, in the age of COVID, I mean, not any of us optometrists ever thought that 2020 and the year of 2020 um, would literally go from, oh my gosh, it's our year, 2020. Right. Who doesn't want 2020 vision in 2020 right. to a devastating COVID year, which that year of 2020 all of a sudden became less about, you know, what our eye vision is and more about what our long vision is, you know, emotionally, physically, um, psychologically, you know, what is the long 2020? Because, um, you know, not just in, in business, but in in our country, you know, in so many things, mm-hmm. um, you know, that 2020 site all of a sudden became something totally different. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely. Um, for, for listeners that may want to contact you. Oh, wow. If, if you're okay sharing, how, how would somebody Absolutely. reach out to That would be Dr. Holly Fisher Britt at gmail.com. That would be D R H O L L Y F I S H E R B R I T T at gmail.com. Perfect. Or you can visit my website at www.rockwalleyecare. That's rockwall, as in a rock wall, eyecare.com. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Holly, Dr. Holly, thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, Time is precious. I consider this truly a gift. So thank you so much. Uh, Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Your time is also precious. So I value you listening. Uh, Remember, whatever dreams you have, whatever grand vision God has placed on your heart, you can. Until next time, peace to you. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life, and I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold, be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.